Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I am here at Broadcast Central asking you for 90 minutes so that we can give you information from around the world from our broadcast partners, giving us details behind headlines that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. What a time we are living in, and indeed it's a great time for the rapture to take place. I keep reminding everybody on every way I communicate to this world that the rapture is the next event. It could happen at any moment. That would be our blessed hope. Well, until that time does happen, we're going to move ahead and keeping you informed of those things that seemingly helping us to recognize the time in which that rapture could actually take place. So we're going to now shift to our broadcast partners. The first one in southern France, Ken Timmerman. Ken, I uh, here I need to be chastising you. You broke uh, the ban on contacting people or friends. You went out for a little bit tonight earlier and uh, had some time with your good friends breaking that fast. Yeah, and I think this is going on a lot. People are getting really fed up with the way this so-called voluntary confinement has been managed. That's basically the heartbeat of most of the entire world after this lockdown for the last five or six weeks. Well, let's get to the news that I need you to be able to analyze for us. For example, here's one, and I cannot believe I'm going to even make this statement, but the United Nations Human Rights Council is praising Iran. I mean, how ironic is that? Well, it is extraordinary, but I've got to tell you, Jimmy, it's not as extraordinary as you would like to believe. The UN Human Rights Council has frequently uh, said nice things about Iran, frequently invited the Islamic Republic of Iran onto its executive board, uh, as they have just done recently. The United States resigned from the U.N. Human Rights Council a couple of years ago because they did it an earlier time. Look, the United Nations is an organization run by the majority of nations around the world, and the majority of these nations do not like the United States, do not like our policies, do not like our prosperity, hate us for our beliefs, our Christian beliefs, Judeo-Christian system, and our freedoms. And so, of course, they are willing to uh, welcome countries such as Iran, China, Syria, Iraq, under Saddam Hussein, onto the Human Rights Council. They've done this periodically, and this is just the latest example of it. So Iran is going to now have a seat on the Human Rights Board where... I'm guessing, and and this is just a really wild guess, Jimmy, they're going to blast the United States for human rights violations of minority populations. Ken, I'm not sure how wild that guess might be. I think you're pretty much on target. Hey, talk to me about the Cold War foes, the United States and Russia. They have sparked the biggest military spending jump in a decade. Are they getting ready to go to war? What's the situation? Well, I don't think they're getting ready to go to war per se, but you're absolutely right, and this is an extremely important story that's gotten very little play in the national media, and and we've talked about it here on this program from time to time. The Russian government under Vladimir Putin over the past 10 years has dramatically increased 
military spending. The current estimate is at about 10% of what we spend at the United States. This is not accurate. That's in actual dollars translated from rubles. They're probably at about half of what we spend, which is a huge increase after the Cold War. And what the Putin regime has done is to spend most of that money on new generations of strategic nuclear weaponry. In other words, weapons of mass destruction capable of wiping out the United States. And they've spent money also on developing what's called a super EMP, or electromagnetic pulse bomb, which could take out our entire electrical grid. They only need two of those weapons exploded in the atmosphere above the United States, which they have the capability of doing, to take down the entire national electric grid in the United States. And we do not have the capability, even now, under the Trump administration, where awareness has been growing of the EMP threat, we do not have the ability to jump back quickly from an EMP attack. So Russia has been developing weapons that could take us out strategically. This is a recent development. It's something that people have not been paying attention to, and I think it's extremely important. Ken, here in the United States, there's been a lot of talk about Afghanistan, what the United States military should do there. But the word is that America's moving out, China is moving in, and they're getting help from Iran. Iran seems to be purchasing Chinese weapons and then passing them along to the Afghans. Uh, this is a pretty dangerous move, isn't it? Well, that's right, and the Chinese have a, a strategic reason for doing so. Afghanistan has, for generations, been a strategic asset up for grabs between India and Pakistan. We are only latecomers in this game. But for generations, India and Pakistan have been fighting over control of Afghanistan, over an estimated trillion dollars worth of mineral deposits, copper and uranium and other ores, rare earth materials, etc. And the Chinese are close by. And so China, in the past year or so, has stepped up its investments in Afghanistan to develop mineral resources as part of their One Belt, One Road initiative, right? This is what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, the Chinese effort to create transportation hubs and commercial hubs between mainland China and Asia and Europe. So they want to create these hubs, whether it's rail hubs or air hubs or transportation links by sea with uh, factories along the way, from China into Europe, and Afghanistan is right along the way. So this is absolutely part of their plan, and they're working with Iran, as you mentioned, to sell weapons to the Taliban in Afghanistan to make sure that the Taliban is able to continue disrupting the government in Kabul, supported by the United States, because what the Chinese and the Iranians have in common here, they do not want to see a stable, non-Islamist, Afghanistan emerge from the ruins of this 25-year civil war. Let me keep the focus on China a bit longer here. It looks that the report is coming out that China told U.S. warships that were located or at least afloat there in the South China Sea to go home and battle the coronavirus operation. China expanding their capability to intimidate people around the world and doing it against the United States. 
Well, this is a big deal, and again, it's something that has not received an awful lot of attention in the U.S. media, and I'm glad that we're talking about it here. The Chinese have used the lockdown, not just of the United States, but of the U.S. Navy, to expand their influence in the South China Sea, to threaten Taiwan, and to threaten nations uh, across the South China Sea, places like the Parcel Islands that they have long been trying to annex. Again, we're not paying a lot of attention to this. When the U.S. aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt went into quarantine a couple of weeks ago because the commander was unable to deal with a couple of cases of coronavirus on the aircraft carrier, was not able to quarantine those people. He was forced then, he believed, to take the carrier into quarantine on the island of Guam instead of keeping it in the South China Sea. Well, once our carrier left the South China Sea, the Chinese moved in, threatened Hong Kong, threatened Taiwan, and threatened other countries around the Parcells Islands because we were absent from that battlefield. I happen to think that the actions, by the way, of that U.S. commander were derelict of duty. A lot of people agree with this in Congress. Uh, I believe that there's been a motion to you know, remove him from his functions. We have protocols in the Navy how to deal with a biological weapons infection. And when a virus such as the COVID-19 reaches an aircraft carrier, that's what it amounts to. It's a biological war uh, infection, and they know how to lock down a ship. They know how to quarantine people who are, who are uh, infected by it. And this captain, the commander of the Theodore Roosevelt, did not do that. Can we have just a few moments here before we have to break? Would you talk to me about uh, some of the rumors about Kim Jong-un in North Korea, dead or alive? What would be good, dead or alive? <laughs> it's a good question, but, you know, sometimes there's an old saying, right, be careful what you wish for. I don't know what his current status is. There's lots of rumors about his health, that a Chinese uh, medical team has been dispatched to him, that he's had some kind of health issue or whatever. Tucker Carlson reported recently that when he was with President Trump and Kim at one of their meetings along the border, that uh, uh, Kim Jong-un, who's a young man in his early 30s, was wheezing like an emphysema patient. Uh, so there's been rumors about his health for quite some time, but here's the kicker, is that the person who is being touted as his potential successor, should he have a problem, is his sister. You know, you see pictures of her in the media. She looks sophisticated, wearing these Western suits, not the communist regalia. But she is apparently just as bad, if not worse, as her brother. Her name is Kim Yo-Yang. This is a young woman who definitely does not have an interest in expanding relations with the West but in controlling South Korea and its nuclear weapons arsenal. That's Ken Timmerman you've been listening to, my dear friends, giving us analysis of current events, geopolitical activities around the world, seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Hey, Ken, stay safe and uh, try to have some fun, at least while you're there, having to be quarantined in southern France. And we'll talk to you again, I hope, next week. 
Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless to you and our listeners. And I must say, we're here in God's great, beautiful universe. We can't complain. We look out our windows every day and look at the beauty of his creation and adore the creator. Thank you. Well, that's great. That's what we're doing as well. Folks, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. It's time for our Middle East News Update. David Dolan, the man who has covered the Middle East as a journalist for over 30 years, is going to come Mike's side here at the broadcast table with us. And David, let's get right underway. We've got about five items I want to cover. And here's the first one. Up against the clock and actually up against the Constitution as well. This new coalition government that was put together between Netanyahu and Gantz is far from a done deal, and that fourth election is still very possible. What do we know about this? Well, Jimmy, yes, it's typical Israeli politics. There's all sorts of gears moving at the same time, sometimes together, sometimes against each other. And one of the challenges uh, immediately is the prime minister can he continue to serve as prime minister under indictment? Well, there's been some court cases brought against him. The Supreme Court's going to be sitting next week to hear those cases and to decide. So they may rule that he cannot serve as prime minister, although the attorney general this week recommended that he be allowed to sit as prime minister. He said he sees nothing in the law that would ban uh, that from happening. So uh, Netanyahu looks like he'll be okay in that case. 
But yes, they're quibbling over positions still. There's the dispute over the annexation of the territories, and Benny Gantz has a bit of a different view than Netanyahu on that. So until it's actually signed, sealed, and delivered, it's not done. But that, again, is uh, typical, and nobody wants to go to fourth elections, Jimmy. Uh, nobody does. Uh, it's way too costly. And, of course, the coronavirus is there, although the cases are dropping in Israel. So life is slowly returning to normal. And, of course, that coronavirus pandemic there in Israel is the real cause, the motivator for trying to put that coalition government together. However, I do hear that if they, for some reason, had to go to a fourth election, Netanyahu would be in real great shape. By the way, Netanyahu has called for Hezbollah. They are their enemy. They're at the northern border in southern Lebanon of Israel. They are the ones who have been really threatening the Israeli body politic Netanyahu calling for the rest of the world to recognize them as terrorists and ban them. Indeed, and the German government has done that and others have as well. Israel's taking more military action on Friday morning. Some rockets were fired reportedly from the Golan Heights at Hezbollah positions inside of Syria, nearby positions. And also there were reports of Israeli airstrikes in the west of the country near the city of Homs, uh, again targeting Hezbollah. Arms depots were told on Syrian bases. And then other reports of airstrikes in the east of Syria that may or may not have been from Israel. The U.S. has also been conducting some air action out that way. So the Israelis are watching Hezbollah really closely. They continue, Hezbollah does, to uh, strengthen their positions inside of Syria and in South Syria in particular near the Israeli border. The Israelis already have to deal with them, of course, in Lebanon, their headquarters, and they're not very anxious to have them spreading all over the place in Syria. And so they're taking this military action. Probably a good action to let the rest of the Israeli enemies know that even though we may not have a quite stable government at this point in time, we're ready to deal with our enemies, so be careful. Watch your step. Well, Netanyahu made that statement pretty clear this last week during Memorial Day when he said, we're prepared for war to defend Israel any way, any time, everywhere. That's a pretty interesting statement. Well, it is, Jimmy, and again, the Iranians are showing no sign of backing down on their overall goal to destroy Israel. We know that they're enriching uranium. We know that they're harassing U.S. boats, uh, have been in the Persian Gulf and doing these other things. And, of course, Hezbollah is their main ally, really. they It's a puppet militia that they control. So the prospects of war with uh, Iran and its allies still very, very high. In fact, as we've discussed, the fact that the Iranian uh, leaders are all Shiite Muslims that believe there's going to be a world crisis that will herald their triumph in the world, and we won't go into all the details of that, but that's the summary of it. It means that they're not afraid of military action necessarily just because there's a coronavirus out there, and it still is affecting Iran very badly. But the Israelis are on alert, and the army is ready, and the military is ready, and uh, you know, again, they're a cohesive country, and they're not about to disappear 72 years old and uh, continue on. That's their plan. 
And even with all of this information available to us, and you've given us the details behind it, the coronavirus pandemic, that threat, the threat of militants trying to take Israel over, the Israelis are expecting a huge wave of new immigrants this year, even despite all of this. Boy, that is interesting, and it sure is biblical. It is, Jimmy, and you know... To do with the virus, they're pointing out that around 20 times as many Jews have died or become infected with it in the New York area as in Israel. The same in France, the same in Britain. The number of Israelis that were infected relatively low. Again, a small country. People are used to being industrial. They're used to obeying uh, government uh, leaders in times of crisis because there are those crises. And you might say, well, then why not stay in New York? Then why not stay in Paris? Why go to the Middle East where there's these wars? Well, there's a Jewish state there, too, and it's a strong state, and the people are committed to it. And there's every reason to think that uh, immigration will uh, rocket after this, Jimmy. I think it will. And, of course, uh, there's anti-Semitism. We had the New York mayor sort of blaming the whole Jewish community for a Jewish Orthodox funeral that attracted a lot of people in the New York area. And uh, uh, many Jewish leaders were very unhappy with that. So anti-Semitism out there, but Israel, the Jewish homeland, remains, in the opinion of many Jews, the safest place to be on earth. In fact, David, I just got a text this morning from a friend who recognized the news coming out of New York, a very high-ranking rabbi, very well-known and powerful rabbi in New York is encouraging all of the Jews there to immigrate to Israel. This is a part of that motivation, and it may be how God is using all of this to make his plan come about. Well, all things work together for good uh, in the Lord's plan. Uh, He has overall control, and we can be thankful for that in these sorts of times. But yes, indeed, it's uh, an interesting contrast between uh, being a Jew in New York or in Paris or in London and being one in Israel. And it's looking better and better all the time to be back in the Jewish homeland. And I think we're going to see, like uh, I just said, uh, quite a surge of immigration uh, once things calm down a little bit and the airlines get back to normal and that sort of thing. David, the Islamic Trust, known as the WAQF, W-A-Q-F, are threatening to overpower the Israeli police to take control of the Temple Mount. I know there's a lot of controversy about the Temple Mount. I know it's basically been shut down to Jews. However, there are a number of Islamic Arab Palestinians going up there. Uh, But, uh, wow, that would be something. They overthrow the Israeli police to take control of that Temple Mount. Well, that's what they're threatening to do, but of course, threatening and doing are two different things. The Israeli police are very well organized and well trained. But yes, the Temple Mount has been closed since the middle of March to Jews and Arabs, supposedly, but as you pointed out, quite a few Palestinians have managed to get up there. They go in with work permits, but they know that they're actually up there praying. And again, the Israelis are not uh, imposing that ban uh, to go against the Muslims. Jews are banned as well. The idea being no large gatherings, no prayer gatherings where the virus can spread and has spread in some of these uh, both Jewish and uh, Arab meetings that have taken place, prayer meetings that have taken place. So that's all the goal is there. But again, they want Israel out. They want Jerusalem under total Islamic control. They want the state of Israel to disappear. Those are going to be goals, whether there's a virus or not, whatever. That's 
their ultimate goals, but God has his plans and his ultimate goals, and he's restored the Jewish people to their land, and they're back in Jerusalem, and they're back at least partly on the Temple Mount, and uh, that will continue to be the case, I'm sure. And the Temple Mount must be remembered as a part of Judea and Samaria, which would be that location referred to sometimes as the West Bank, which the Israelis want to annex. That is a possibility. And in fact, the United States weighing in on that, saying they're in agreement should that take place. I think that's an interesting move. We only have a moment, but what do you think about that, David? Well, yes, they know that President Trump may not be president this time next year. And uh, while they have Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State, he this week, as you said, said we will support Israel annexing some territory, some of the areas that uh, are logical, that are Jewish-controlled anyway, or Jewish-dominated. But, of course, the Palestinian Authority leader said he would disband the PA and turn the whole thing over to Israel financially and in every other way if there's any annexation. So, And the European Union strongly condemned uh, the possibility of that. So there's a battle out there for sure still. That's David Dolan with his Middle East News update for us right here on Prophecy Today. David, a longtime journalist, well qualified to do what he's doing for us, and we're so thankful he's here with us on a weekly basis. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Stay well. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We're going to start not in 1948, but in the late 1800s and see how Israel came to be 72 years old this year. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Thank you so much for staying with us into our second half hour. I got the first one, I need this one, and then one more. We'll have 90 minutes of information coming from our broadcast partners, helping you to understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. That's actually the banner over our website, prophecytoday.com. And during these times when you may have more time to study than you've had in the past because, well, you're kind of shut down there at home trying to stop the spread of the coronavirus, you may well want to go to my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. A number of materials. I have a five to ten minute little video program entitled Prophecy Moment. You'll be able to understand a question, an answer to any prophecy question you may send to me, 
or maybe a particular news event that we'll give you coverage and a prophetic perspective on. And then also we'll take a verse of Scripture, prophetic Scripture, and deal with that. That's on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. Well, I want to bring to this microphone a great friend, a wonderful broadcast partner, and quite the Israeli or the Jewish historian. This man knows just about all there is to know about the history of the Jewish people, at least what we would refer to as modern-day history, the last 100 or 200 years. And, Winky, I know this week you celebrated the 72nd birthday of the Jewish state of Israel. However, when we stop to think about the Jewish state, it actually did not start way back in May of 1948. It started, and actually the beginning of it, was the first Zionist Congress, was it not, there in Switzerland? And if the answer is affirmative, explain how that all came together. Well, Jimmy, you and I have discussed over the years the biblical prophecies regarding, I think the term is probably restoration, like in Isaiah and in other books, that the people of Israel will return. Because we lost our independence by the Romans over overwhelmingly destroying our armies at the time, 2000, almost 2,000 years ago. We lost all political status during all these centuries. Many Jews continued to come back to the land of Israel all during those centuries, but of course they had no power in the sense of either political, diplomatic, legal, or otherwise. And so when we refer to Zionism, properly we're talking about, as you pointed out, the Zionist organization founded by Theodore Herzl in 1897 at the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland, when he put the agenda of the Jewish people's return and restoration as a normal political issue to be debated, to be argued, and uh, to be won out, if possible. And so the answer to your question is, well, the state was in a in a theoretical sense, in a concept that, yes, the Jews should go home to their national home, I'd have to say that that began basically at that time as the foundation step, or one of the major foundation steps, in bringing Israel and the Jewish people back into history and not being the outliers uh, outside of history as we were all the years of our exile. Well, you've got the Zionist organization, the Jewish Agency. They were both working basically with world leaders and the United Nations to try to make something happen and restore that Jewish nation, weren't they? Yes, that Jimmy politics is getting things done in a public fashion. And if it means uh, talking to diplomats, talking to your representatives, uh, pressuring them, demonstrations, going to court. Or as Herzl, if you want to go way back a century ago, he began by going to the Sultan, to the Pope, to kings, queens, presidents. He went to people of power to try to get them to recognize the fact. And I think in his diary, after the that first Zionist Congress in 1897, wrote, I have founded in Basel the Jewish state which will be in 50 years' time. Or I'm paraphrasing, of course, but 
that was basically his feeling that he finally put the Jews back on the map. And after all of that work, a very important date in the history of the Jewish nation of Israel, November the 29th, 1947, when the United Nations voted on the partition plan. That was key for the ultimate establishment of the state of Israel, wasn't it? Yes, Jimmy, for at least two reasons. The first, of course, is that a British white paper back in 1939 tried to do away with the League of Nations decision that there would be a Jewish national homeland. They just said it meant Palestine, whether it's Jewish or Arab or whatever, we don't care. And, of course, the League of Nations, the 50 nations at the time, said the Jews should have their own national homeland. And so in 1947, United Nations decided that there would be a Jewish state and an Arab state. The second most important point I want to bring up is the Arabs rejected that, as they always had rejected territorial compromise, and basically still do until this day. And we came out of it, even though we were aggressively attacked and had to defend ourselves, we ended up with a state, and they had nothing of their own choosing. It was their choice. They could have had a state 70, 72 years ago. So we look back and we say, sometimes people make the right decisions. Too many times people make the wrong decisions, and for the wrong reasons, too. And that's quite unfortunate, but everybody has to own up to his own mistakes. And for all of that work since the end of the late 1800s, the activities resulted on May the 14th, 1948, I believe, as I understand it, at 4.30 in the afternoon, the greatest announcement in all of history, as I understand it, because it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, was made there at Independence Hall by David Ben-Gurion. Jimmy, you're absolutely correct. And, of course, there's always a backstory. The British had set their day for leaving the mandate behind and finishing up on the 15th of May. But that turned out to be Saturday. And uh, Saturday, as we all know for the Jews, is the Shabbat, the Sabbath. And so Ben-Gurion had to move that Declaration of Independence to the Friday uh, as close as possible to the British leaving of the Mandate uh, Territory. So therefore, within a half hour, and actually before the beginning of Sabbath, Ben-Gurion stepped forward and announced to the world The Jewish state of Israel is a nation among all the nations of the world. What a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. What a profound statement. Winky, I just wanted to spend, we could have talked about what's been going on for the last 72 years, but I wanted to see the story before all of it came about in May of 1948. And I knew if there was one person I could go to to get that story, That would be my good friend, Winky Madad. Winky, thank you so very much. Congratulations on a Jewish state in the 72nd birthday. And we'll have another conversation down the road real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. And to you and our listeners, goodbye. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, giving us the history leading up, actually, to the announcement of a Jewish state way back in 1948. Well, that was a great conversation. Hope you enjoyed and got the insight you needed to have about the miracle of a Jewish state after a 2,000 years without any Jewish state in place.
I want to find out now in our next conversation with our broadcast partner, Itamar Marcus. He heads up palwatch.org. That's their internet address. It's Palestinian Media Watch. He and his team monitor the electronic and the print media for the Palestinian people. They report actually what the Palestinian leaders are really saying in the media, not what they're propagating to the world. By the way, go to Itamar's website, palwatch.org, sign up for his newsletter. He will keep you abreast of what is going on. Well, it's been a great week, the Independence Celebration. I understand, of course, under restricted, limited opportunities to celebrate, but indeed, it did go on. I'm wondering, though, Itamar, what did the Palestinian media have to say about Israel's 72nd birthday? What kind of a propagation or propaganda were they talking about? One of the fundamental principles of Palestinian Authority belief and ideology is that the Jewish people never had a state in the land of Israel. There never was a temple. The Jews never had any connection to Jerusalem. And the only reason why Jews ended up in in this land is because the Europeans wanted to get rid of their Jews, because the Jews were such a terrible force within Europe. The Europeans wanted to get rid of the Jews, and they had a second goal they wanted as colonial powers they wanted to control the Middle East and control the oil. So they decided, let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's steal this land. Let's create a movement, call it Zionism. Let's tell the Jews that they have a history in the land, and then we'll be able to send the Jews to the land that was then called, to the land that was called Palestine, and they'd create a state there. And this would be a colonial state whose purpose was to be a way to get rid of the Jews, as well as a way of controlling the Arab Middle East and the Arab oil. This is something that they've been saying for years, and they repeated that message again just this week in an editorial in the official newspaper. They said it was the European colonial powers wanted to control the Arab states, and so they created Zionism. Zionism, they say, was artificial, based on no history. It is an outrageous lie. But this is the basis of Palestinian identity. Revisionist history, of course, written by the Palestinian people. Well, Inamar, I do know that the Palestinians rejected the partition plan put forth by the United Nations. Why did they do that? I mean, if indeed they have been a state, why did not they want to share this piece of real estate? The Arabs, uh, it was not really just the... Arabs of the land of Israel. It was the entire Arab nation. The Arab nation has the united front, and we're talking about the nations that existed, Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, all of these nations decided that basically for their own anti-Semitic reasons, they did not want to have a Jewish state in the Middle East. And so they all united, rejected the United Nations decision, and when Israel accepted the decision and, and established the state, they all immediately attacked Israel and started a war. So there was no interest. It wasn't a matter of splitting up the land or giving it to Palestinians, because let me tell you something very interesting. Jordan, the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, they claimed all of that land for, for Jordan, and the Syrians, they claimed all of the land for Syria. So it's not like there was this, any Palestinian identity they wanted to help. They just wanted to get rid of the Jews. If you look at the maps that existed in the early Syrian school books, that is, early after the state of Israel was created, 
you'll see Syria going down and covering up all of Israel. And if you look at the Jordanian books, you'll see the same thing. Jordan going and calling, covering all of Israel. All of these countries just wanted a Middle East without a Jewish state. I want to talk to you about those Palestinian maps in a moment. You've just recently written an article on these Palestinian maps. We want to get into that. But before I do, if indeed they rejected the partition plan from the United Nations, is that not testimony uh, that they really never had a Palestinian state? And just answer that question. Has there ever been a Palestinian state? There has never been a Palestinian Arab state. There never was a Palestinian president, Palestinian king, Palestinian anything. That is why, by the way, the entire claim that the land of Judea and Samaria, where Israel is today, is occupied Palestinian territory, is a farce. Because how can you occupy land that never actually existed? It would have had to have been Palestinian and then occupied for it to be occupied Palestinian land. Uh, the, the Palestinian nation, or so-called Palestinian nation, was actually created after Israel was already sitting in Judea and Samaria, and they said, okay, let's call this occupied Palestinian territory. And it's not just the Palestinians who call it that, the, the United Nations, a lot of European countries, uh, the United States used to as well. They used to put OPT, occupied Palestinian territory, when talking about Judea and Samaria. And like I say, there never was Palestinian, so it can't be Palestinian occupied territory. You were just talking to us about how Syria developed a map that included all of Israel, and then uh, Jordan did the exact same thing. Now, in your article that I read through uh, the, on the, of the Palestinian maps, were these maps of a uh, Palestinian state alongside a Jewish state? Was that the way they laid out those maps then? Absolutely not. The official map of the Palestinian Authority it appears hundreds of times in their school books, and it appeared repeatedly in the last few weeks on Palestinian television, is a map that goes from a lot in the south all the way up to Metula in the north of Israel. Every single bit of it is called Palestine. There is no Israel. The Palestinian people are taught to see a world without Israel. And just to make sure that you don't misunderstand what the map means, one of the maps that was Broadcast last week on Palestinian television shows, again, this is a map of all of Israel, and you see a Palestinian boy holding a Palestinian flag, writing words on the map. And what are the words he writes? Palestine is from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River, and its capital is Jerusalem. Exactly. We have no other branches. That's it. Palestine is everything. So this is the Palestinian Authority that's getting European money, that's used to get American money, that's getting a lot of Asian money. Uh, they're getting all this money in order to create a state to live beside Israel, but all they're doing is preparing their people to essentially, to eventually uh, overpower and make Israel disappear. And have one state called Palestine, which includes everything that we know as Israel today. Uh, let me ask this. Bottom line, could that ever be the case, that there be only a Palestinian state with no Jewish state in the middle? Do they really believe that could happen? Tragically, the, the Palestinian population does believe it can happen. Certainly the Palestinian leadership is constantly telling them that, that it will happen. And they tell them that it will happen in stages. This happens, we've heard this many times, we heard it recently from senior Palestinian officials, uh, named Tafik Tarawi. He's part of the Palestinian 
uh, Fatah Central Committee, and he was interviewed on Palestinian television, I think just a month ago, and he said that we ask for the 67 borders because this is what we could ask for, because this is what the international community would accept. I'm paraphrasing. Those are more or less what he said. And then he said, but the ultimate goal, he said, there's no Palestinian leader who will be able to walk the streets of our land if he says that Palestine isn't from the river to the sea, meaning erasing all of Israel. So this is the leadership. This is the leadership's message, that they want to get to the 67 borders uh, as a first stage. At that point, Israel would be about, what is it, 10 miles wide at its narrowest point. And from that point, they will continue their continued bombing, their continued terror attacks, their continued everything else. And a state with those kind of borders would be so vulnerable to attack, and uh, they just don't believe Israel can survive that. One person well, who said that explicitly was a person named Abbas Saki, who's very close to the leadership. He's a member also of the Fatah Central Committee. He was interviewed on television and said, our goal is greater Palestine, which means all of Israel. He said, we say we want the 1967 borders because everyone knows Israel cannot survive those borders. Period. That's it. So that's the plan. Get Israel. And this is what the great tragedy is. The Europeans all talk about those borders as if that's where they expect Israel to go to. Uh, the United States under Obama. That's where they wanted Israel to get to, to those borders. So you've got all these countries that are supposedly interested in two states, interested in being friendly with Israel, ignoring, ignoring everything Palestinian media watch is showing them. The Palestinians don't have any intention of staying in two states with those borders. They plan on using it as a launching pad to destroy Israel. And as you monitor the Palestinian media, you and your team at Amar, you don't see any possibility they'll ever give up their armed struggle until they have accomplished what we've been talking about, a state called Palestine with no Jews. I don't have to tell you what I think. I'll tell you they say it themselves. They say it themselves all the time. In fact, not only do they say it, a poll was taken recently, a few years ago, actually, Palestinians were asked, what's the leadership's plan if they get a Palestinian state and even solve the refugee problem, will they continue to try to, what they called in the question, liberate all of historic Palestine, which of course means destroy Israel. And close to 70% of Palestinians said, yes, that's the leadership's plan. So the leadership says it, the people know it, that's the goal. Uh, and, and as Tafik Tarawi said, there'd never be a Palestinian leader who would survive who would tell the people that they're not going to continue to try to destroy Israel. So uh, on Israel's 72nd Independence Day, I think it's important that, the, that Israel first and the world second recognize that there is no place for a Palestinian state um, on, on any borders at this point until they completely change their ideology, completely rewrite the false history that they're teaching, and accept Israel as a neighbor, not just when they're sitting in Washington and sitting in Brussels at the European Union, but they have to tell it to their own people, put Israel on the map, and then we can start discussing the possibility of creating a demilitarized Palestinian state. That's Itamar Marcus. He heads up an organization called Palestinian Media Watch, palwatch.org. That's their Internet address. You want to go there and stay abreast of what the Palestinians are really saying. Itamar, 
Thank you so very much for giving us a moment. Appreciate it. Great information you passed along to us today. God bless, and we'll have another conversation down the road, I hope, real soon. Okay, great talking to you. Very important insight from Itamar Marcus, who heads up Palestinian Media Watch. And they're telling us actually what the Palestinian people have been saying and will continue to say about Israel, a nation among the nations of the world, and especially on their 72nd birthday. Well, another man who has great insight as to what's going on in another region of the world is John Rood. John brings to our attention what's happening in the European Union. We so appreciate his service to us here at Prophecy Today. And we're so grateful that he can be available for us even today. John, there is a, it looks like, some fractures that are causing the European Union to get to their breaking point. Can you just explain several of these so we can be watching and understand really what's happening there in the continent of Europe? Yes, indeed. The EU is very fragile, and we've seen the effect of the COVID-19. We've actually seen the end result has been in crisis times. Every EU nation is for itself. But yet, this is not what the EU has been built on or stands for. The EU is based on this unity principle, the free movement of people, goods, and services. Now we see that most all of the EU member nations have shut their borders. And then we have the situation we've referred to about the Schengen nations and the Schengen area, which is a very, a very interesting concept that was put into place in 1995. 22 of the 27 EU nations are in the Schengen area, but yet, Norway, Switzerland, Iceland, for example, are not EU nations that are in this area as well. So they're very, very strongly aligned with the EU. And this is a typical that the EU finds various degrees to incorporate its uh, rules and regulations into other nations. So the free movement in all those countries, if you go into Switzerland, literally you're receiving a visa to visit all of the Schengen nations all of, at the same time. Yet everything is shut down right now. I would fly from Brussels to the Canary Islands and never show a passport check. Now you can't even drive from uh, Belgium into France. So there are severe restrictions on EU borders, and this is, this is contrary to the entire EU ideal of the European project. So it's bringing back to us the same old debate the big issue. Are we looking at nation states that have their own sovereignty, or are we looking at a working supranational institution, which we can term some form of super state? This is what we see is that the EU directives have been consistently failing and bring about these fractures that you've mentioned. Meanwhile, the European Union anti-terrorism chief is making statements and giving warnings about militants and fringe groups who are exploiting the coronavirus pandemic there in Europe. What is that all about? That's also a good, uh, a good point, Jimmy, that when you bring the coronavirus into the mix, it's bringing very serious results. So the, uh, the EU anti-terrorism chief since 2007 
Uh, his name is de Kerhove from Belgium, so it's a nice Flemish name. Uh, he actually came out and said, we cannot lose sight of the security risks. So as the European Union has reacted to the coronavirus, people are at home, certain issues are flaring, the far right and the far left is regaining some influence. In the coronavirus atmosphere, most everybody is taking advantage for their own particular initiatives and motivations. And so even terrorists are not excluded from that. They can take advantage of the people that are feeling isolated or the people that are in lockdown or the people that are economic hardships trying to look to radicalize people. So the EU anti-terrorism chief has recognized this and made it a point to bring out the possible byproduct that's uh, upon Europe. John, just before the break, looks like the European Union is worried about China. Everybody in the world seems to be focusing on China. They're afraid of corporate takeovers there because of the coronavirus. Quickly, what can we say about that? Exactly. Europe is repeating the 2008 financial crisis. China has come in. Asset prices are way down. Corporate takeovers are on the rise. And I understand in the United States as well from China and this is what they have done, mainly uh, infrastructure, mining companies, uh, particularly in Africa. China's shipping industry even owns, uh, takes control of three of ports in Belgium and Spain. There has been some recourse. The EU is tightening controls to foreign investment, but China is definitely positioned to take advantage of the lower asset prices, and they're buying up a lot of Europe, a lot of the United States. What's very interesting about the conversation I just had with John is that the both the European Union, infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, and China itself, these two units are both mentioned in Bible prophecy. And that's one great reason for having John Rood here on the broadcast with us on a weekly basis. Great report, John. Thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week and be sure to stay well. Yes, exactly. Everyone stay safe. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we have David James. He's standing by. Going to have a discussion that you need to hear. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our third half hour, and if you'll stay with us for this time, you'll give us 90 minutes as we talk with our broadcast partners, finding out the details behind the headlines all across the world. So glad you could join us, and I would love for you to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. When you get there on the home page on the left-hand column, you'll see my poll question. Love to have you answer the poll question. Here's the question today. Our broadcast partners have reported on China from several angles today, from the origination of the coronavirus to China's intimidation of nations around the world and even threats against the United States and the U.S. Navy ships in the South China Sea. Do you believe that these Chinese activities could be a precursor to the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, where we see revealed the kings of the East? That's our poll question. Please answer it 
if you will. And by the way, remember my youtube.com forward slash prophecy today YouTube channel. That's the location to hear my prophecy moment and other prophecy teaching. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation, which is key if you do know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Each of us who do know Christ as our Savior should be walking alongside of him in the biblical way that is laid out in God's Word. And so we have these conversations focusing on issues that may need a biblical perspective on them and we would then know how to do what the Lord wants us to do in each of these cases. David, this week we received a couple of emails with questions from our listeners, and I thought it might be good if we could just use today's discussion to go into those a bit more in-depth than we sometimes do. What are your thoughts? Sure. Well, as we've said many times, we're always glad to hear from our listeners, and we always welcome questions, that's for sure. And you know, Jimmy, we've been doing this segment of the Prophecy Today weekend program for over six years now, hard to believe. And uh, we've had quite a bit of feedback during that time. And we try to respond to most of those uh, emails personally, and we also talk about the majority of them on air. And as you mentioned, one of the questions we received this week was connected to the COVID-19 crisis and a potential vaccine that some are concerned about, including about the possible tracking that could be involved. And I've seen this issue raised a number of times on social media and in some articles on certain websites. Then another question had to do with comments we made a few weeks ago concerning Psalm 91, again, in the context of the present crisis. And, you know, many have turned to this psalm for comfort, and some see it as God making promises really to all believers personally in times of trouble, but I had suggested that this probably isn't how Psalm 91 should be viewed. And one reason this lady had concerns was because a former pastor had mishandled an important New Testament passage saying it wasn't applicable today, and so she was confused about how to handle the Bible correctly in general. Pretty interesting email questions, and we do thank each and every one of you who listen in. You're invited to send us your question. We'd love to deal with it. David, let's kind of jump into the first question now and deal with the one about the coronavirus vaccine first. Our listener was asking about our thoughts because of some discussions of these activities being connected to some type of a tracking device and other things that he had been seeing about this, and apparently from the Internet. What are your thoughts? Well, here's part of what uh, that particular listener wrote in his email. He said, I'd like to hear your opinion about what we are hearing, that the government will mandate the COVID-19 vaccine, which may have a chip that will allow the government to track us. I've heard some comments that this could be the mark of the beast. Could you address this on your program? And just as an FYI, when I read emails from our listeners, sometimes I do edit them for length and clarity. So, Jimmy, I've been following 
following this since I first saw a story about it several weeks ago, and I think I mentioned it to you when we had a private conversation a couple of weeks ago. And as far as I can tell, this started with an Instagram post back in March that said, Bill Gates and other globalists, in collaboration with pharmaceutical companies, are reportedly working to push tracking bracelets and invisible tattoos to monitor Americans during an impending lockdown. So I checked Snopes, which isn't always reliable because of a liberal bias, but they do say that Gates has never proposed or funded research into the development of a vaccine for COVID-19 or for anything else. Then I also found an article on PolitiFact, which actually is rated as one of the least biased fact-checking organizations, and they acknowledge that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has funded research into invisible ink technology that could accompany vaccines for record-keeping in developing countries, and that MIT also had begun research uh, on this in 2016, but they said there's no evidence that Gates is pushing for tracking bracelets or that the MIT research has anything to do with tracking Americans amid the pandemic. Very great research there, David. Okay, now, since you've revealed that to us, what about the second part of his question concerning something like this potentially being the mark of the beast as referred to there in Revelation 13? And in your opinion, is it even possible from a biblical perspective for that to happen today? Well, as I'm sure you know, Jimmy, people have been speculating about the mark of the beast for decades. If you do a research on Social Security number and mark of the beast, you'll get hundreds of results. And back in the 70s and 80s, some thought it was the Visa credit card or credit cards in general, and some still think that. And now that credit cards have RFID chips in them, some are convinced that these chips are the mark of the beast. And, of course, they've been putting these RFID chips into animals for years but with people getting them for identification, some are convinced that these are the mark of the beast. But I would say this, that even if these types of technologies are used by the Antichrist during the tribulation, uh, I would also say that they can't be the mark of the beast right now, even though I personally don't want to be tracked by the government. You know, the beast worship system won't be put into place until well after the rapture of the Church, when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and declares himself to be God at the midpoint of the tribulation. Then, according to Revelation 13, the mark will be required under the global beast system, and it will be something that will be taken intentionally in order to be a part of that system, and I don't think it will just be taken by mistake somehow. And another thing is, the Greek word means an inscription or a stamp. So I think it's very likely going to be an actual physical mark and maybe even a tattoo of some sort. Well, that's identification for the beast to recognize those who can buy or sell and be able to sustain life, basically. Okay, now, David, let's move to the email from the lady who was concerned about some things we said about Psalm 91. Let's start with, however, what she had heard from someone else that sort of triggered her concern about our comments. Well, she sent a fairly long email because she wanted to explain why she was concerned and a bit confused. So she wrote this, We left a church last year because during communion, leadership said that anyone saved or unsaved 
could partake of the cup and bread. That is open communion, he said, and that is only a memorial and nothing would happen if you partook. So my husband was told by the pastor that the verses in 1 Corinthians were for Old Testament people who were eating and drinking for their own pleasure, and that getting your heart right and confessing your sins were Old Testament stuff. So, Jimmy, first thing I would say is that while her former pastor was right about the Lord's table being a memorial, I would also say he apparently misunderstands what is meant by open communion when that term is used. Closed communion means that only members of that church may participate, while open communion means that all born-again believers in Christ are free to participate, whether they're members of that church or not, and I would happen to agree with that view. But open communion does not mean that unbelievers should be participating. In fact, they should not, nor should believers who are in sin. And Concerning Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 being directed to Old Testament people, I honestly don't have a clue where that idea came from, because I can't see where it comes from the text at all. Okay, David, now how would you respond to her question about us drawing comfort from Psalm 91? You know, you mentioned that it isn't directly applicable for us today, even though some have claimed it is during this present coronavirus crisis. So in the first part of her email, she wrote, a couple of weeks ago you talked about Psalms 91 and why you think we really can't claim it during this time, meaning the COVID-19 crisis. Then she says, the more I think about it, the more confused I am. I was taught and believe the Old Testament is very important to study and to know, but I'm struggling with your comments about Psalm 91 when it does give so much comfort. Why shouldn't we look to this chapter for comfort when we can go to other Old Testament scriptures? You know, Jimmy, this is a great question, and many have turned to Psalm 91 during difficult times, and I understand that. For example, in verse 3, we read, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And then verses 9 and 10 say, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. But, Jimmy, these can't be promises for us because believers have died from COVID-19 and from plagues and disease and accidents and wars and famine and from evil men who have killed believers throughout all of history. And then beyond this, I would say that some believe that this psalm is about the Messiah, and for one thing, Satan apparently thought so, because he quoted verses 11 and 12 concerning rescue by angels when he tried to tempt Jesus using this psalm in the wilderness. And we do know the Lord cares for believers from many passages throughout the Bible. I just don't think we can claim Psalm 91 as promises made directly to us. David, as we wrap it up for today, I think it might be helpful to give a few of the principles that you and I use when we study the Bible and when we try to interpret and apply it correctly. Proper Bible study is made up of three main parts. That's observation, interpretation, and application. So the very first principle is that we must carefully observe the text before we do any interpretation. I would say that most of the Bible really doesn't need to be interpreted. It just needs to be observed, accepted, and applied. Another principle is that the main question is not, what does this passage mean to me? That's the application question. The right interpretation question is, what does this mean to God? And when we get that right, we can apply the text correctly. 
You know, a common mistake that many make is thinking that everything in the Bible is to us. Now, the Bible definitely is for us, but not everything is directly to us. So, for example, some things were to Israel or to specific churches or to specific individuals. So we need to be careful how we handle the Word of God. You know, it would be like reading a letter written to someone else and thinking it applies to us in the same way it does to them. If we know the author of that letter, then we can learn something about them from that letter that we might be able to apply directly to our relationship with that person, but that's different than if that person wrote that letter directly to us. So the most important thing in studying the Bible is to study the context of the passages themselves. You know, the text means what it means, whether we see it or not, and then the historical context is sort of like using a flashlight when we're walking in the dark. It helps us to see what we might otherwise miss, and that's what the historical context does for the biblical passages that we would be studying. You know, I always remind those friends of mine who are studying with me uh, to find out what the Lord's trying to tell us, especially in prophetic passages. There's a technical interpretation and or a spiritual application to each of these verses we're looking at. David, this was, a, I think, a very important program. We just took a couple of questions from our listeners, which we were grateful to receive. And we thank you, dear friends, for wanting to know and asking us about some of the statements we may have said. Appreciate it so much. Keep those letters coming, as they used to say in old-time radio. Hey, David, thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week, I'm sure. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, all of our broadcast partners have contributed to the program. I'm going to look at what they had to say. We'll take a prophetic perspective on all they did report to us. Now that's all ahead when I take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today, our broadcast partners had key reports, reports on results of the coronavirus pandemic, also a number of reports on the activities of China. These are very important reports from our broadcast partners as we look at our world, which is actually preparing for the future for the prophetic scenario that God lays out in the Bible. The role of our broadcast partners is so important as they keep us up to date on what is going on. If you had to miss any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN. You can find that on the right-hand column of my home page, and there you'll be able to listen to all the interviews that we had with each and every one of the broadcast partners. For example, Ken Timmerman, we found him in southern France today, and he gave us a report on the United Nations Human Rights Council that has been praising Iran. That is probably the biggest forest that I have ever heard, and the United Nations is behind it. You've got to remember that the United Nations, I would consider it a one-world government, which is a prototype for Babylon, as foretold in the book of Revelation chapter 18, when the Antichrist will control a one-world economic, political, governmental system from that Middle Eastern state called Iraq there on the shores of the Euphrates River. I must remind you that Babylon, as foretold in Revelation, is an actual literal city today, and that will be their mission, a one-world economic, political, governmental system. Well, a prototype of that, the Human Rights Council praising Iran. Iran is going to be one of those nations that will be a part of the alignment of nations that endeavor to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They're mentioned as Persia there in Ezekiel 38 and verse 5. And for the United Nations, a one-world government to praise the human rights of Iran is ludicrous in reality as to what is happening there. In Iran, they're cutting heads off as punishment for disobeying the government. They're amputating parts of the body. They're hanging people. They're throwing them off the top of buildings. This is not human rights that should be praised. Uh, David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update. This is always a key report that we receive on a weekly basis. He was talking about the new unity government there in Israel, which in reality is not really a sure thing. It could fall apart. They could go to a fourth election. We'll have to watch this very closely. Only thing I can say about that, it is continually 
giving evidence to the enemies of Israel there's not a stable government in charge there in the Jewish state. God put human government in place to accomplish his will. That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. David also brought to our attention that the Islamic Trust, the WAQF, W-A-Q-F, they are the ones who have custodial responsibility of the Temple Mount, are now getting ready and threatening Israel that they're going to go up onto the Temple Mount go to war with the Israeli police there who guard the sovereignty of the Temple Mount and endeavor for the Islamic world to take control of this very sacred piece of real estate to the Jewish people. Remember Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us this site will be the center of controversy in the last days. Winky Madad gave us the history leading up to the announcement of the Jewish state of Israel. His history lessons started with the First Zionist Congress way back in 1897 when Theodore Herzl, a Jewish journalist, brought about the Zionist movement for the Jewish people to have their own homeland. And, of course, the United Nations Partition Plan, November the 29th, 1947, was key when the Palestinians rejected being a state alongside Israel. And Israel then announced on May the 14th, 1948, 72 years ago, that the Jewish people would have a Jewish state among the nations of the world. Of course, that was in the face of the Palestinian people. And Edomar Marcus reported to us on Prophecy Today weekend about the Palestinian media and their propaganda. They say that Israel was never a state, that Europe threw the Jews out and towards the Middle East. And then they have developed maps that say that what Israel really was was all of Jordan. And then after that, Syria had a map covering what is modern-day Israel but never a Jewish state. Now, no Jewish state on any of the maps made by the Palestinians. By the way, that's Malachi chapter 1. The Palestinians, the Edomites, saying they would return, would rebuild, and the Lord said, I'll call your borders the borders of wickedness. John Rood gives us his weekly update on the European Union. They may well be falling apart. There are 27 member states. The Bible tells us, Daniel chapters 2 and 7, there will be only 10 kingdoms or states or leaders of particular different locations. Well, they have 27 member states now. Maybe this is what is unfolding today. And then David James and I had a conversation on how to interpret the Bible correctly. God is talking to certain people at certain times in different locations and for different purposes. Remember, each verse in the Bible has a technical interpretation and or a spiritual application. We need to work at studying God's Word to find out what the Lord is endeavoring to tell us today. All of these reports that I've just talked about, available at my website, prophecytoday.com at PTRN. You can find that on the right-hand column of my home page. And there you'll be able to listen to all the interviews that we had with each and every one of the broadcast partners. All of these reports mix into a mosaic that helps us to come to the conclusion we're right at the point of the next event. And that next event is the rapture, when Jesus calls us up 
to be with him. And by the way, that rapture could happen at any moment. And having made that statement, there's nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up unto. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you.